Hello, my friends, and welcome to Backable. Today, our host, Tim Kriteris, sits down with James Henderson, the creator and host of the extremely successful Hospopreneurs podcast, where he explores creativity and innovation in the hospitality industry by interviewing influential people right across the supply chain. They explore how James' lifelong love of economics has influenced his path and choices in the creative hospitality realm. They also look at the key moments that led to the birth of Hospopreneurs and how James is using those lessons to help others on the same journey through his current business, H Media. It's a really great discussion. Hope you enjoy. Obviously, from some of the stalking that I've done over the last couple of weeks, you've got a pretty interesting story. And I mean, I'm sure you're in the midst of the commercialization of your story at the moment, but do you mind? maybe taking us back a little bit of how you ended up here. And I know that's a, a huge question, but what's the significant time marks for you leading up to this point? Because it's quite an interesting journey from your background. Yeah. So I started studying finance and macroeconomics in 2011. Uh, and in my, on my journeys, I met a few people along the way who wanted to do their own things. And I met this just stereotypical entrepreneur and he was, he was like, he's, <laughs> He couldn't concentrate at, at, at uni. He's like, nah, dude, I've, I've got dyslexia and ADHD. And like, I just, it's not for me. I'm not for uni. I'm dropping out. And he dropped out. Uh, and he was, he's just, he's all about just crazy ideas. And he wanted me to help him out with his first business. So I kind of helped him out a little bit, learned a bit about what he was doing. He went from idea to idea and ended up doing some pretty crazy things. But along the way, I met some incredible people, started looking at startups. And in my third year, I decided to start a tech company called Ambi, which was a rewards app for bars. Right. So by spending time in bars, you got points and could spend those points on free drinks, meals, discounts, cool stuff. Um, we had a very small private raise just with friends, essentially, that allowed us to build an MVP and, and run out, uh, build out across Brisbane. Uh, which is where we were testing things. Very difficult market for something like that because you can't actually publicly advertise drink prices. So that's something that you can do in other states, but in Brisbane, you couldn't do it in Queensland. Anyway, we encountered some difficulties there two years in where we started, we had 20 clients on, on board. We sponsored Valley Fiesta, which is a part of Brisbane Festival's Valley Fiesta. We were yep. headline like major sponsors of that. See the big logo up. I was, I was 21 and I'm just, I'm just like, man, this is, this is so cool. <laughs> you know, met all the media and artists performing at the festival. It was a great time. But two years in, we had a tech issue where we couldn't connect up. So there's three systems we used to, to talk to each other to, to pinpoint someone's location in the venue at that venue. And then we couldn't connect to those systems anymore. So it all broke down. Unfortunately, two years in, we had to go back to investors and, and say, all, all your money's gone. Um, which is the most difficult thing that I've definitely ever had to do. So that's, that's 100% the, the most challenging part of that. From there, I was a bit lost. I was still studying and I took a holiday in the, the July break, went down to Melbourne and decided that I still wanted to stay in the hospitality industry. That was three and a half weeks of just exploring the city because I'm, I'm from Brisbane uh, and I'd never been to Melbourne and then it was a cold and dark winter. Uh, and I, I very much enjoyed myself. It was fantastic. Uh, but over that time building Ambi, I started working in bars and meeting people in, in, in the nightlife industry. And I made this decision that this period was a time whether I was, I was going to decide whether I was going to stay in this industry. So I did decide I wanted to. When I came back, I had this little notebook of all these ideas and it was you know, stacks and stacks of ideas. One of these ideas just said podcast. I had no idea what that, what that was, what it was going to be. And I just said, I've got to start a podcast. So I started a podcast with my best mate 
this little comedy show. It is still available on one <laughs> website somewhere on the internet. Surely we can get um, that link, Nigel. Come on, let's oh, put that down. No, let's please let's get it going far. Um, I won't even tell you what it's called. It, it was so much fun though. We had a great time. We thought it was great. We had, yeah. it was really to document our friendship. Did that for 12 months. And then uh, I went to Myriad, which is a, it was a tech conference. They ran for two years here in Brisbane, in Southeast Queensland. And I went to the first one. And after that first event, I met this guy. I was on my way out, walking out the door at Cloudland, the after party. And I just had this excellent chat about IDEO and just building creative ideas and creative agencies. And just clicked me into this gear that I just went, you know what? I'm just going to make another podcast about my own experiences with tech, business, hospitality, put them all together into one. And so on May the 10th in 2017, I recorded my first intro episode of Hospopreneurs in one take. Uh, and it is still <laughs> available right now. Uh, so that's how I started Hospopreneurs. So from there, three years on, I've been building that show and I moved down to Melbourne to really explore more in the industry. I, I was using Hospopreneurs as a way to build my own brand in hospitality. I started working more and more in venues, getting promoted, started managing venues and getting uh, invited onto opening teams for new venues. That was kind of something that I really started becoming known for now in Brisbane. Moved down to Melbourne to work at Bar Margot, which was excellent as well. Incredible team there. I really enjoyed that. I normally sort of worked in places for three months. The way that, that I'm really useful is seeing through that early stage chaos to be able to find clarity and, and really build some systems around things, but then to hand over to other people for those systems and, and then I'm out. Like I'm, I'm not good after that. I'm not good at being too rigid and structured. I like the chaos. So stepped back three months uh, into that. And then went full-time on Hospopreneurs and thought, there's a better way to do this. I have to turn this into an agency. And so we started producing podcasts our, ourselves for other people as well. We just brought them into our network, started building a couple of shows and started producing shows for brands and sort of that's how we've built things. So that's called H Media. And so that's, how, that's my, my journey to where I am now. Brilliant. Now, just for all those who want to know more about H Media, just check the links obviously below because um, there's some really cool stuff happening there. And I think, you know, particularly, I don't know if the phrase still new media is, is relevant because this is really the media, but you said something really interesting at the start, if you don't mind me taking you back there, which was that, oh, we just went to private investors and raised for our first thing. I don't know if that's something oh, yeah. you skip over. In due respect, that's an incredible feat regardless of any time in your life to actually start that period. And, and maybe we'll touch on the conversations when you have to tell investors. I, I take a little different tact, which is investors balance risk. So it's a hard conversation, but unfortunately, that's the game. Take me through the raise at that start. Was that a confronting thing being so young and then sort of going out to raise? Yeah, for sure. That was actually the first time I encountered podcasts as well. Just a quick side note. Along that journey, there was, uh, there was someone who interviewed us, so my co-founder and I, uh, Amy, and so we, we were on another podcast and I'm like, what's a podcast? And so we did it online and that was in 2014. Yeah. That was that first interview. So it was pretty wild. But in terms of raising capital, people will have heard the like friends, family and fools are the three Fs, the, you know, the three people to raise capital from at least pre-seed investment. Um, that's just to test things out. So that's what we did. We, we talked to people around us that we knew. And from there, it started getting things just moving enough so that we could pay some bills to the contractors that we brought on to build the first version of the, of the app. So build the wireframe and then build the, the app in that early stage. Once we had something moving, because that's my thing is just going out and meeting people. And I see it as just making friends. Like that's what I do. I just go out and make friends with lots of people. 
and if people that I like being friends with end up working with, I find that is generally the nature of business uh, in a lot of ways that people that you you trust, you like, who do a good job, you work with. The entrepreneur lifestyle, isn't it? <laughs> There's no differentiation between business and friendships. <laughs> totally. Yeah. You're going to enjoy working with these people as well. You're going to be doing a lot with them. This Absolutely. is, you know, this is your identity in a lot of ways. Uh, and Ambi became my identity. And I struggled with that a little bit, but I'm answering your question around capital raising. I, I don't consider it as, it cert- certainly wasn't a formal process. There wasn't like, we're starting raising now and we're going to end at this day. We need to raise by this, this date. It wasn't anything like that. We didn't go through any other institutions to do that. It was just me going out to make friends and, and see what we could do. Which is a great feat. I mean, regardless, friends, family and fools, it's very difficult to raise. I mean, if you have something valuable, you have something interesting and valuable that you believe in, then it's not as hard because if people see you're passionate, they see that you're you're a high quality individual, you're intelligent, you're going that direction and they believe in you, then it feels like the odds are stacked in your favor to do that. So I felt a lot more, I was certainly confident about it. I still think there's opportunity for something like that now, but I'm not going to be the person who does that. Uh, if someone out there wants to do it, I'd love to love to help you do it, but um, <laughs> it's not going to be my main uh, my main thing anymore. But uh, in terms of actually going through that process, so once we had a little bit of capital and we built that wireframe and not quite an MVP, we're almost almost at building something. We started connecting with some other people. I was working in broking at the time, actually, while I was studying. I was wasn't a, a broker; I was a dealer's assistant. So anyway. Um, I met someone in the office who introduced me to someone, introduced someone else, and you know, like he meets like a friend of a friend of a friend, and then ultimately he turned out to be a really interesting guy. I had a little coffee with him. He said, "I'll introduce you to my business partner." Things started getting rolling there. I didn't know much about what this was at the time, so the way that it was introduced to me when I was, you know, twenty one, twenty two, was that there was this guy who bought a call center. Uh, his business partner was ex call centers, and they'd kind of started to talk to other businesses about doing things. And I was like, okay, like, I, I, like, I didn't like the guy in the office didn't even know what it was. Turns out that they were actually, they were building a small private equity company, but they were doing it with just this interesting ex call center background. One of them had his own physio practice and sold that. And then um, the other guy was ex call centers and kind of they came together and started doing some deals with small businesses to, to grow them and sell them. So they were doing business development and then selling out. So that was a really interesting guy to meet. Uh, we started working with them. They grew from there. They started getting some other businesses under their, under their belt and things started evolving. We had resources to share with, with those guys. They started contributing to what we were doing and then ended up giving them some equity. That was kind of part of that process as well. So they've added a lot of value to what we were doing, incredible amount of value. And so we didn't have to raise more than we did, which was good because we gave them equity. So we did ultimately give something away for it, but didn't have to go out and raise more for it. So James, I want to obviously speak about the podcast and where you've had some really incredible traction, but what would you say the key learnings, if we were to talk to you back then now from who you are and, and what you've done, what would have been some of the things you would tell yourself then? There are things that I would want to tell myself, even thinking about your question, there are things that I would want to tell myself that were things that I didn't learn from the experience. So I'm thinking I would tell myself things that I didn't learn from the experience because I was going to learn them. So um, I think ultimately some of the people that we dealt with through that experience were people that I probably wouldn't deal with now having, you from know, a, having from a values hindsight. alignment, values alignment or the type of people. Just some people that we dealt with along the way. Incredible experience. I learned so much. 
But, um, you know, you can only really see some of these things once you've dealt with enough people in, in the world and in life that you see these patterns in people's behavior and the way that they are and act, just who people are. There's kind of these archetypes of, of humans and you find out who you like working with and who you can trust and can't trust. There were some incredible people who trusted us and you know we we had to make decisions as well and and you know it wasn't that we broke their trust it was just that we had to move in directions that ultimately meant that we couldn't work together anymore there were things that we had to do along the way that were very tough and if i was to tell myself anything it w- it would really just to maintain that tenacity that that i had and to not give up at all because i think that that but i was going to learn that anyway but i think that would still be actually the thing that i would tell myself it's an interesting thing, isn't it? I think for any of us that have been in the game for a while, there's that experience as you realize that people who get hurt in business, I guess the phrase, it's not personal, it's business, because you realize sometimes decisions you have to make are not going to work for everyone, but they have to be made as a decision. I don't think you get to learn from sitting from the sidelines. It's an interesting one, particularly when we're young, isn't it? I know when I started, it was a little bit more, not trusting of people, but a little bit more of, oh, it's okay, we can deal with something that we didn't recognize early on, but we'll deal with that as opposed to, I don't believe people change. My philosophy now is people are just people and we should honor them for that, but they're not going to change because I'm different or I want them to be different. They're just going to be who they are. A hundred percent. Everything that you said, a hundred percent. Something that I would take away is that to be very wary of people's previous experiences as well. So when they have that track record too, you should pay attention to things and not ignore any of the data that you have with people like like you're describing there. Um, you know, people are people, they're going to do what they're going to do. And uh, there are little things along the way, like smart money versus dumb money. Like you, you have to make sure that you're working with people that are in the domain that you're in as well. So if you're going to be raising capital then to be looking at, or even equity, if you're going to be giving away equity, do they have experience in the, in the space that you want? What are they contributing? How are they contributing that? Is it with capital and, and some sort of connection into a particular domain or you want to expand in this area or is it you know, something else? One of my sort of friends, but I always refer to him respect as a mentor, says never ever give away equity for something you can pay for. And particularly when I was young and had the same experience where, well, I didn't have the resources to pay for it. So you did whatever it takes, but you realize the interest on a lot of that <laughs> comes back when you, you least need to be paying it. It's, it's a very interesting one. I'm sure there's a, a much longer discussion around the journey when you're um, undercapitalized and I guess avoiding landmines. Absolutely. I, I agree with your friend. I agree with your friend in most contexts because sometimes there's something that you don't know that you're going to get value from later. And maybe maybe that means it was a, an illogical decision at the time. I think your friend might rebut what I'm about to say with that by saying that it's an illogical decision to make because you could have paid for it, but you didn't, but then you got value later. And then so it's actually lucky that you got the value later. It's clear that you've got a love of hospitality. Now, I was trying to work out, is that because you were doing a finance degree and were just drinking a lot or did you always love? (laughs) Did you just, why hospitality to start with? Where where does this love of this industry come from? I liked the experience that I had in in a lot of different venues, but ultimately it started by hanging out with mates from uni. My, My best mate and I used to just hang out in bars We'd go to this same place every Wednesday. It was like student bar. Student bars are all the same. Anywhere that you go, they're all the same. But we would hang out in this student bar and we would just observe human behavior in these spaces. 
And it became useful later when I started operating because I'd already had this backlog of all my own data around how people behave in that space. That's where it began. And from there, I just started started gaining this just this interest in human behavior. And so a lot of what I ultimately a lot of what I really enjoy is observing how and why we do what we do. And that's what really led me into some of the electives I took in my economics degree and my own interests around behavioral economics. And coincidentally, maybe maybe it wasn't coincidence, maybe the lecturers were onto it, but the things that they were teaching us nearing the end of my degree, the economists ended up winning Nobel Prizes. And so it ultimately meant that I learned these things before all these people were popular in the mainstream, which was excellent. So that means I got an excellent education. I was very happy with that. But human behavior is ultimately what I really enjoy observing. So that's what really led me into hospitality. Hospitality is this created uh, environment. You know, it's man-made environment for controlled hedonism. So people are put in this space to just enjoy themselves. And this is, this is one of these, the great things that our society has allowed for, that we have this ability to just enjoy. Like it's, it's a, it, you pay to enjoy yourself. Uh, I had a conversation recently with someone around why, why Singapore is thriving. Um, it's ultimately, I think, because financial hubs allow for additional disposable income. And so with that disposable income, it means hospitality can thrive because people want to enjoy themselves with that extra capital. So, the, you know, because they, they can spend it, so they do. So those sorts of hubs, the financial and hospitality hubs of the world, that's what really interests me. And so it's quite interlinked with finance. I was studying finance and that didn't really become as salient to me until later. It's just an interest of mine. My dad's an accountant and I would constantly be thinking about numbers and just playing with these patterns. And so I'd watch how people behave in these environments, follow the patterns. And ultimately, it was really just human behavior and understanding economics, behavioral economics and how people operate in that environment. You've obviously been able to carve into a vein there of people that love that too. I love hospitality, not in a way that you digest and immerse yourself in, but I feel like a hospitality experience, it's not a, it's not a delivery of a meal or a drink. It is, it's an artistic expression of how they like to serve people in the most respectful way. There's an essence for the ones that really get it, and it's obvious with the way they grow and the venues that they create and the success that they repeat themselves, which is, you know, most people look at this as a very risky industry, all things being equal. But essentially, the good operators, they're playing at a different risk level for probably something you understand a lot deeper than I do. But for me, it's like going to an art gallery when you have an experience like that. Like I value that experience. Say you pay a thousand bucks for a meal, and I'm just being silly. But if the experience is there, this is not about food. This is an artistic expression that it's just blown my mind. I think about it for months. A hundred percent. So there's, a, there's an Italian word, and I've, I will butcher this word. Uh, I apologize to any Italian speakers out there, but it's sprezzatura, I think is pronounced. It's essentially the concept that is, if you can imagine a duck on the water and its feet are going and going and going, and it's just smoothly gliding, like that, that is what the concept described of just smooth on the surface, but behind the scenes, it's all chaotic. That is ultimately what hospitality is about. It's what any performance is about. It is what, uh, what a lot of business is about. It's being able to perform in spite of all of these moving cogs behind the scenes. And that's, that's what's really exciting to be part of that, that system when you are operating. And it's something that I, I really enjoy and, and, and enjoyed. So that describes that, that concept well, I think. 
Well, maybe that's a great lead in for, for the podcast because you, you've been exposed to, I guess, people in not only the hospitality industry, but the different sectors of the hospitality industry. What have you learned from that diverse conversation? Is there anything that's been surprising to you or that you are surprised by with the types of characters and people that you've met? There aren't, there aren't a lot of things that have really surprised me or that I've had a like some sort of revelation through the show. It's nothing that's really, you know, like slammed the door in my face and changed my whole perspective on anything. Ultimately, though, what it has done is shown me how the entire supply chain operates. And that was the objective of, of the program was to explore the entire hospitality supply chain. So Hospopreneurs looks at everything from agriculture to entertainment. I interview people who've been insect farmers or they're in agriculture, people who are designing alternative meats through to musicians or their PR companies on the total other end, their marketing venues or marketing these brands or investing in them or they're you know, advising them on how to operate or they're actually expanding you know, manufacturing processes for a brewery. There's all sorts of really interesting people that I've had on the program and nothing has really shocked me. It has, though, demonstrated how that whole picture works. It's kind of like painting this picture. You know, you start with this tiny little perspective, like I knew hospitality retail, but this allowed me to see more and more of the, of the whole picture. You know, you never really know it all, but you can get to know clusters of it and that gives you a, a more clear image of actually what you're dealing with. I'm kind of like a researcher. I'm kind of like a hospitality researcher. It's certainly going to be coming in more and more handy with my own trajectory that I'm building. I think it's quite fascinating because I think in isolation where when you look at it, there'd be not many people have had that unique experience. I mean, we, we talk about it a lot with our consultation business and consultancy and performance consultancies. We'd have to be stupid to be bad at this because we get to see under 200 hoods. You're going to learn something. The conversation, you're just naturally going to get smarter in the area, even if you weren't trying to. There wouldn't be that many people I'd imagine in the country that has probably had the inside of the supply chain in this industry. I mean, you can probably put pieces together better than most at the moment just from that exposure. I mean, that's quite an asset to have, and particularly when we talk about H Media and the things you're doing. I mean, that insight you can't buy. Yeah, I, I've not met anyone else who's doing precisely what I'm doing. And I encourage people to try and please go out there and do it because it's going to help me because people will gain more of an understanding of exactly what it is that I'm doing as well. So there, in a lot of ways, I've seen that there are opportunities to connect the, the worlds that I've connected with hospitality, finance, tech, the startup world and, and business more generally. That isn't really being done. And it was something that I found I was uniquely positioned to discuss and explore. And to answer your question, yes, there aren't many people in the world who are doing what I'm doing. And I haven't found anyone who's doing exactly what I'm doing. It's incredible. I, maybe we jump to the podcast specifically. You said you use the podcast to you know, expand your personal brand and get involved and meet a lot of people now. But most people try that, but aren't as successful as you've been in terms of exposure positioning as authoritative creating. Why has your podcast been successful? Because you're doing something different than everyone else. Yeah, there's, there's a few parts to the question there around what, I guess, to break that down, what other people have been doing and then what I've been doing differently to them. I think there is a vast majority of people who approach podcasting with the same sort of label that you introduced that concept with there, I haven't specifically used it to build my brand. It has consequently built my brand, but it's not something that I entered it to do. And people who do that with 
being the first priority, that's the wrong way to be going about doing it. I'm not like that. I've never been like that. I've always wanted to be an honest, genuine, open guy and, and share this passion that I have. And you said conscious, are conscious of these things. And I wonder if that was sort of what you were trying to trigger me to think about uh, my own why around why I do what I do, which is to elevate universal consciousness. And I use that term very broadly to describe, and I'm going to break that down, elevate. So elevate, increase, universal being the system that we operate within in our, in our universe in the bounds of our own existence and consciousness being understanding of itself. So for me, that means synthesizing ideas. It means creating. It means learning, growing, building things so that the system we operate within understands itself better and defies entropy for as long as possible. That's how I sort of look at it, that life and entropy are these two opposing forces. One is trying to build. Life is inherently growth-oriented. And entropy is inherently, maybe not death, but destructive, constructive and destructive. So you got these big forces that defy each other. And ultimately, I'm pro-life, pro-build, pro-create. And so like that's, let's build things. Let's defy entropy for as long as possible. That's what I want to do. I want to help other people to learn, grow, build things. And so I love discussing ideas and, and exploring and doing that with other people. I heard a really nice phrase where they were describing just life in general and not so much a universal consciousness, but it resonated with me from the way businesses operate that every time we breathe in, we survive. Every time we breathe out, we're dying. And we've got this whole yin and yang thing going with our whole lives, you know, business cash comes in, we're surviving. Cash goes out, we're dying. Pulling between those two universal forces that essentially is where the joy of, I guess, living is. Absolutely. And it is dualism with these two forces, but there are other ways to be looking at existence with one central force that governs all of existence and science trying to explore that. But to keep it a little more practical though, because I do often get quite esoteric. And as you said, I am a strategic thinker. I'm a creative mind. And that's really what has uh, allowed me to see opportunities as well, because I can think a couple of steps down another road and go, oh, if I do that, that allows that to open up. And I didn't have that before. So what can maximize my opportunities? And with knowledge, you have access to opportunities. So the more that you learn, the more opportunities you have because you can see dots that you couldn't see before. So that's why I am 100% pro the education, knowledge, just learning and growing as much as possible. I want to explain this as well, because there's actually a concept that I have that I call the valley of technicality. So being an economist, I like to develop models for things, for these social things. And I call it the valley of technicality. People get caught up in the technical nature of something. And it's hard to describe what this diagram actually looks like. If you could imagine a box and whisker plot. So it starts with a dot, there's a line, then there's a box, and then there's a line out the other side. And so essentially, when you start learning something, it moves across. This is over time as well, but this is an increase in knowledge over time. So you start to learn things, you reach this valley of technicality in this section at the beginning, it's all, it's all fantastic. It's all wonderful. You're learning. You feel excellent. You got your mind's open. Then you hit this valley of technicality. Some people get lost in that when they're learning and they get caught up in details. They get obsessed with the thing itself. They get lost. And the people at the top end, they know about all those things. They're like, what are you doing obsessing over that crap? <laughs> it's really interesting. I think that applies in every single industry, every discipline. There are often people that get obsessed with the details of something. And so I try to continuously step back and go, what's, what's actually important here? What should we be looking at? And often people who oversee these things, particularly founders and, and the visionary types, they get lost in those details. 
So um, it's a matter of training yourself to, to look outside that constantly. I couldn't agree with you more, James. And I think a lot of the time we see a lot of business people who love the start. You seem to be someone who enjoys the nuance around mastery because it sounds like you've made a decision to win in what you want to do. So all of this is the lessons you need to learn to get there. Whereas a lot of people, when they get to that, I guess the overwhelm around focusing on the wrong things and doing stuff is because they're so used to this incredible growth rate at the start when it's fun, exciting, and we've got ignorance. And then you have that elevation of consciousness, awareness, or having to do small things that don't seemingly have a big impact immediately, but have all the difference in terms of longer term results with that compounding time in the right areas. And it sounds like you really, uh, excuse the phrasing, but you get off on the nuance of learning. Is that where your joy is? Yeah, absolutely. I love the feeling when you learn something new and just like, whoa. So I read three books. Uh, I'm a very slow reader. I want to explain this as well. I'm a very slow reader, but I enjoy reading three books at a time. So I have three different books and I categorize them. So I have one of each category at all times. My first category is personal development or technical. So that's when I'm trying to learn a particular skill or develop something in some domain. It could be a marketing book, could be a sales book. Right now I'm reading a book on coffee. Um, that's something that I just, just want to learn about. The second book is fiction. And normally it's classic fiction. So I mentioned I'm a slow reader. So I like to read classic fiction because I'm never going to read all of the fiction books in my life. <laughs> so I might as well choose a subset of that that I'm going to get the most gain from the actual investment of my time. And then the third category is what I call the philosophical category. I enjoy them all for various reasons. But the philosophical category is designed to throw a curveball the way that I think to make me think outside the box and, and play with those ideas. And often when I'm reading that book, it's even slower. And so I'll read a little bit and sit on it, process it. I have so many times when I'll just sit and think about something and it just, something will click. I'll read a line, I'll go, wow, that's, that's an amazing way to put that concept. I didn't think about it like that. A lot of this passion that I have for growth is coming from a place where I'm totally happy just with acquiring knowledge, this infinite journey to acquire knowledge. The reason I brought up the value of technicality is because some people get carried away with running on the hamster wheel and they're becoming obsessed with a particular discipline or domain or skill or something. They just get caught up in something. Actually, a great book for this, what I'm describing is called The Infinite Game by James P. Cars. Yeah. The infinite game is stepping back and going, what is the, the long-term, the infinite game that I am actually in? You're not playing to win anything. You're playing to play. That's what I really enjoy about this process of acquiring knowledge. I love that idea and I particularly like that thought process because I think it also keeps us present. A lot of shit happens in life. You know, there's a lot happening on there that's trying to draw our attention away for what we want to achieve in life. And I think that's such a great way to bring yourself back to the moment you need to be most effective in. I know, I know we spend a lot of time with our high performance clients, which is the reason you're feeling like this or you feel like you're off track is because you're already going right down there without bringing it back to, we're going there, but this is today. And this might be the only moment you've got to affect. So enjoy this moment. I, I think there's something in that that's so profound for not just enjoying life, but actually gathering performance. And it sounds like for you in the podcast, that's what you've been doing now for a few years, which is totally present in just enjoying that moment in this is what it is. Yes. And to make a bit of social commentary there, it's ultimately why meditation and mindfulness and these sorts of concept have, concepts have become popular is because there is inherent value in those things and they're catching on and they're continuing to grow now. 
some people will think, oh yeah, the wellness industry. Some people get, oh, the wellness industry. Like the people who are going, oh, the wellness industry. That's the people who I'm like, they see that people are getting caught up in the technical nature of things. Yeah. So if you're like, hey, the wellness industry, just be careful there as well. Just check that you're also not getting caught up in the details. But in every industry, there's that. These yeah. are these two things. But there's inherent value in a lot of these things that we're talking about, about playing the infinite game. Just to round out our discussion, take me through H Media. I mean, it's a very exciting time. I assume it's the next natural progression on your goals and timelines. What's the vision you have for H Media? Where, where are you hoping that this business will take you over the next decade? On our roadmap for the next decade is that we, we'd like to have either partners of ours or directly be in a few different cities as well. But that's kind of taken a bit of a bit of a shock. Um, so we may have people who are already in those cities. We would like to be in those same financial and hospitality hubs that thrive. So now, because I've also added media to my own sort of basket, it's introduced a whole other suite, another industry as a suite of concepts to bring to the table. So now I'm, now I'm thinking media, hospitality, financial hubs. I've been looking at London and New York and Singapore in particular is really thriving. I mentioned Singapore before in terms of a, a financial and hospitality hub at the moment. The majority of the top 10 bars in the world are all based in Singapore at the moment. So that's, that's a place that I definitely want to be going soon, uh, but the world's not really permitting that at the moment. But the great thing about what we're doing and, and have been doing is that we've always been remote. We've always been working remotely. My entire team is remote. We're based in Brisbane, Gold Coast, Melbourne and the US in Arizona. In fact, not everyone on the team has met each other in person. So we've never had a full team meeting, um, which business. is quite cool. <laughs> yeah, well, we have a meeting online. So we, everyone knows what their little face looks like. In, I'm just going to draw this in this little window. <laughs> there we go. But yeah, no, one, no one's ever seen each other in person. Like not, not the full team anyway. Um, but in terms of H Media, we want to be in four cities. I want to go back to Melbourne uh, now that I'm stuck in Brisbane. But we can work remotely. And so we're kind of seeing what that looks like. We've had to adjust our, our game plan. But we're, yeah, we're still continuing to grow things. And it's actually been excellent for podcasting. There's so, so much podcasting activity going on at the moment. Obviously, we're on a podcast now. Thank you to everyone listening right now. I know 100% we really appreciate you listening to this program. Um, so that's something that um, everyone who listens to any one of my episodes, I greatly appreciate everything as well. So podcasting is booming right now. We've seen a lot more investment coming into the podcast industry, a lot more interest from radio, from external to radio as well. There's, there's a lot going on. Um, who knows what the future is going to look like, but it's, it's looking very positive and that's where I'm going. And maybe just to finish out for anyone listening out there in, in terms of H Media and what you can bring to a company like that, what is the true benefit you believe that having the infrastructure from you guys and being able to work with them? What does it give them as a company to really from the exposure? Because I think we're at that same point we were sort of a decade ago when YouTube was starting to get some traction. You started to see obviously a huge explosion of podcasts in the last six months, particularly for a company that's maybe foreign to this or starting to explore and, and has heard about you. What do you believe this gives them the opportunity for positioning now? Because it's not a short-term gain, obviously. This is an investment into yes. a position that no one can buy in a few years' time. What do you think that H Media can bring for those type of companies? 
It's a good question. Um, to answer that question, I, I want to explain because you described the person who's new to podcasting. They've, they've, they've heard of it. They know it's exploding. They want to get on it. They want to know what it's about. The first thing that that person needs to know is that podcasting is very different to any other medium. It's totally different to any other medium you've ever played with before. Uh, with this democratized radio. It's an ability to control your own voice through audio. The listenership on the podcasting medium in aggregate is huge. Very, very challenging to reach the sorts of numbers that they might be thinking YouTube viewers get or these sorts of things. It's not like that for podcasting. But the conversion rates on anything that you do on a podcast is much, much greater. So you're building a very loyal, passionate audience. The people who listen to you really, really care about your company, your message, the people that are on your program. So that's something to really consider. The numbers are wildly different to anything you've seen before, much, much smaller. But having said that, it's much more powerful as a medium. So that's something that I really want to explain to them in in the early stage. What H Media does is we look at exactly what you want to do as a brand. We look at your message and we build a really powerful program out of that for you. Brilliant, James. I've enjoyed our conversation immensely. And, you know, there's a lot of agencies out there, but I think when you've got someone who has a track record, lived, breathed it and go, this is how I did it. I just think that holds such weight, particularly in the digital marketing and, and new media industry. But thank you again for your time. It's been really great to chat and congratulations on all your success with, and where you're going. We watch intently. Thank you very much, Tim. I really appreciate you having me on the program. Thank you so much. Thank you for the, for the questions. I had an incredible time uh, with dialogue with you today. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for listening and thanks to James for being a part of it. For those wanting to know more about James, Hospopreneurs or H Media, we've included all the links below. I highly recommend you go have a listen to the podcast. Of course, you can head on over to backable.ai to access all the downloadables we've put together. And if you want to stay up to date with all things Backable and Philodemo, then make sure to join our Facebook group and follow us on one or all of the platforms you can find in the show description below. As always, if you have enjoyed this week's podcast, please don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a review. Well, that's all from us from now. Have a great week and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye.